So, fuck yes, welcome back to the hype. Chewy Darso. Hi. I didn't really like. Hi, I didn't watch the movie. <laughs> Coming right out of the gate, swinging with it. Uh, there might have been a bit of a just embrace your shame. <laughs> bit of a communication snafu, and uh, Emily ignored the wrong movie. She was still not Wait, going to watch the movie, movie for the week. Which movie did you watch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Oh, I thought it was three billboards. This yeah. Week. Okay. Um, so uh, so today's episode will uh, it'll it'll be a little different. I'm going to be normal. a surrogate for the audience and yeah. ask questions. Yeah, it's going to be fine. Uh, and special guest this week we have Elliot Campos back. Hey, hi, hi Elliot. Uh, Elliot, have you watched the movie? Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I actually kind of enjoyed it, but we'll... Of course you did, yeah. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a movie. Elliot and I disagree. No way. Uh, it's a bad movie that Brian enjoyed. Shocking. It's, it's not a bad we'll, movie. We'll I don't know. It. I haven't we'll, seen it, so that's not fair for me to say. It's not a good movie. I'll give it that much, okay. but we'll get into that. Uh, but before mm-hmm. we do, we should do a Where Have You Been Doing? Um, I wanted to talk Quiet Place. So I'll just talk about it with you then. Okay. Well, then I won't talk Quiet Place. Well, I, I already used my other movie. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay, fine. <laughs> I can do that. Uh, and I'll chime in my one thing about Quiet Place when you do that. Uh, so I've started playing Horizon Zero Dawn, which you've heard discussed to death in this podcast if you listen weekly, uh, as John was playing it for like three months straight. It was the only thing he was doing. So there's not really much to say about it. Uh, and then the one thing I don't think John mentioned when he was talking about it is the pacing of the game is impeccable. Um it was pitched to me as Assassin's Creed with robot dinosaurs, and it is not that. It is, uh, and that's like the first two hours of the game. I thought, like, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. But it, it tells a story about uh, a woman growing up with basically like no home and no people very well, and it like doles out the story moments far better than almost any game I've ever played. Like they they really know how to like take their time and let things reveal naturally and it's really cool. She looks uh, a lot like Ygritte from Game of Thrones. Yeah, with way bigger hair. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, her hair is huge and I actually think it's kind of cool. Um but that's all I'm really going to say on it is uh cuz I, I feel we've discussed it to death at this point, but Mm-mm. it's an awesome game. All right. Uh other than that, Brian and I went to a quiet place on our wedding anniversary to go watch two beautiful people that are also married do their jobs yeah Uh, and as pretty much everyone is saying it's a really good movie it is and especially for a horror film because we've kind of had a lull the last year i think can't we've been getting like one a year, like yeah. one good horror film. One a year really for good a horror film. Like the last movie that I remember, Brian and I going like that was a lot better than I was expecting was uh, Annabelle Origins. <laughs> yeah, uh, which actually is a legitly good horror film, uh, and also stars a lot of women. And uh, this one, I mean, I always love Emily Blunt. She's amazing and everything. John Krasinski, he's been trying to get away from being. Um, Jim Halpert. Jim Halpert for so long, and for the longest time, he was just making military films and wasn't really working. And now he plays a dad in a horror film, and there you are, there you are, Jim, or not Jim? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> there you are, not Jim. <laughs> there you are, John. This, this is a problem that you have the same beginning letter. Yeah. Uh, it's a one-syllable name. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and as a first-time director uh, and co-writer of the screenplay, right? Yeah. Not the story, the screenplay. Screen, that's why I said yeah. screenplay. I'm uh, just clarifying for the audience. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to seeing more stuff from him. It was the first Platinum Dunes movie I think I've ever enjoyed. <laughs> like, oh my God, Michael Bay has a name on something and I liked it. <laughs> Shit. 
it, they, it is nice that it is a movie about not being able to speak and actually stars a legitimately deaf character. Uh, and, and she's great. She was a great actress. Yeah. yeah. Deaf, deaf actor? Yeah, deaf, she's deaf. Deaf actress. But I, if you, uh, you can say actor. It's okay. Yeah, I know, but some people <laughs> wanting you to really define it. And um, some don't. It's a weird argument. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like it really just depends on which uh, person, performer you're talking to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she was fantastic, and it just motivated me some more. We're like, we need to freaking learn sign language. Yeah. <laughs> Our uh, son will know sign language, so he can say when he's done eating. Yeah, so he can talk to me before he has vocal cords. <laughs> so. He already has vocal cords. We'll hear well, those plenty. <laughs> All right, go, Emily, go. <laughs> I read volume four of Sunstone, which I forgot to bring because it's <laughs> Brian's book and I put it next to my purse and I still forgot to bring it out the door. Um, uh, I'd read the previous three before. Um, Sunstone, for those of you who don't know, is a graphic novel and it's about BDSM. It's about these two women who are in a subdom relationship and about like struggling against like admitting that they have feelings for each other they keep trying to pretend like they're just friends who fuck each other and uh it's becoming way more than that and it's really sexy like a lot of like pretty pretty intense sex scenes in there between two women so a lot of dudes would be reading it with their hand hands on their dicks is the first guy who gave me one of those books said uh, i read that book with my hand on my cock it's actually really delightful it's a beautiful book and it is about a love story between two women and the struggles they go through and um and it's a very accurate look at what dominant submission really is i mean there's a bit it's a bit extreme some of the toys they play with are some high level shit um and their relationship also starts very quickly but um but it's uh, it's it's a really really cool because I also it's also not just about being titillating. It's also about the development of like how you feel about this lifestyle and and uh, some people get really get what's called sub frenzy and they're very like they discover it and then all they want to do is just submit to someone right away and there's danger in that and um and and the feeling that dominants have sometimes about not being adequate that's in there too and there's all there's a lot of fetish gear too there's a lot of ladies dressing up in costumes um so it's a it's a pretty good book I like and it a lot and it's written and drawn by a man which is interesting it is yeah but he does a really good job sometimes of making it sometimes men can be sensitive yeah in yeah. a good way oh there's definitely still like woo lesbians fucking yeah. you know but which they call out in like the very first page of the first book of yeah. like this is a very romantic story about love but don't go away there's a lot of lesbians fucking yeah. in it too and <laughs> yeah. it's, it, i really enjoy that series mm-hmm. and then he just did a long stint on aquaman and he drew aquaman better than almost anyone mm-hmm. has ever drawn aquaman and he, i love that game. yeah the art on this book is it's beautiful. so good so good yeah he also did a long stint on suicide squad and he mm-hmm. drew one of the best harley quinns i've ever seen mm-hmm. i really like this guy I should probably say who it is. It's uh, Stefan Sedjek, I think is how you pronounce it, but I could be totally wrong in that. Um, but yeah, it's really good stuff. Ellie. I started watching The Vampire Diaries. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Are you a teenage girl? <laughs> I try to connect to the various personality strands of myself, <laughs> and sometimes that teenage girl inside me needs to squee over shirtless pale vampire men damn right who knew (laughs) watching the show i was initially pretty off put by it because it has a lot of twilight vibes it was definitely coming out in the midst of the twilight domination of the multiplex but I talked to Samantha Garrison about it, frequent guest on the show, and she described the show as more of a interview with the vampire thing with a deep mythology. And once you get past the superficial Twilight similarities, it does become a lot more interesting of a series. 
I am enjoying it. It's it can just kind of rub me the wrong way sometimes, just because Buffy's vampire rules are so ingrained in my mm. mind that when they stake a vampire and he doesn't just burst into CGI dust, it can be momentarily confusing. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm in the second season right now, and it's going pretty good. Very. A lot of drama queens on this show. <laughs> Very high drama. It was CW, right? Yeah. Yes. So, yes, the drama. Is that the one with Boone from Lost? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I feel good for him because he he was very sad that he got kicked off the island so fast on Lost. He was really good on Lost. He, was really, he is really good. He's yeah. also very he, handsome. He, he got he like is. five or six seasons on Diaries, right? Um. Well, considering that I'm in season two... Maybe he gets killed at the end of season two, and I don't yeah. know. So let's keep the mystery alive. <laughs> but good for him that a uh, white guy got another shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, that was everybody, right? I always mm-hmm. feel weird when there's only four of us here. Like I feel like there should be one more person going. Um, we could okay. just create a fake person. Do you want to do a voice? Uh, no. All right. no uh, you can just hey leave y'all. space yeah. in the recording so that John can dub it in yeah. later. <laughs> And we go, ha, 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 great I, point, John. I, John, you we, couldn't be more wrong. What have you been doing, John? I have been a baby. Yeah. I've been babying. There's a baby. Uh, okay. So we'll move on to today's episode, uh, which is the new Murder on the Orient, Orient Express, uh, not the old Murder on the Orient Express, which I was going to do back when this one came out, and then I just decided not to because uh, I don't know why. Um I wanted to do this one specifically because I really like Kenneth Branagh, and even though I don't really like all of his movies, I like the the flavor that he brings to them, and I thought it'd be interesting to talk about uh, a movie that he basically didn't want to change or do anything new with, and he just wanted to put his own like stamp on it, and I thought that'd be an interesting conversation, so we'll see how that goes. I'm really uh, bummed I didn't watch this. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's I would have liked to have had that conversation. It's it's interesting. It so, is very Branagh-y. Oh, it's super, and it's whether, super do Kenneth Do you Branagh. like Kenneth Branagh? Then you'll like this movie. If you don't like Kenneth Branagh, then you didn't like this movie. It, yeah, his Hamlet is my favorite Hamlet. So yeah, yeah, but yeah. That, that's like you're going for the top of a that's game true. there. So, that's true. Um, but really quick, so th- this movie did very well. It did. Uh, it made over 300 million uh, worldwide box office. They're already talking about doing a sequel to it uh, of a different Agatha Christie novel really? with him. The same thing. Um, it's not officially sold yet, but it sounds like they're they're trying to push that forward. Uh, review wise, it did okay. I think it was in like the like two star range, 40s on Metacritic. Metacritic when I looked at it last. I didn't know this did uh, well. I guess it did very poorly in our social circle. So. Yeah, nobody I know really wanted to see it or even gave a shit about it until I made a few people watch it for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it did well. I mean, it was a it was a Christmas movie with a huge cast. So and people wanted to see Daisy Ridley in something that wasn't Star Wars. Um, so yeah. Uh, before we go too far in it, though, we should do a 30-second breakdown. Breakdown? Elliot, do you think you can do this? Uh, no, but <laughs> it's not like I ever get a vote. That's very true. At least you admit that. So, here we go. The new Murder, murder on the Orient Express. I can't even say the fucking title. In 30 seconds, here we go, 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 go. An ensemble of actors gathers on a train to film a period piece. Shortly after the start of production, wife-beating cast member Johnny Depp is found brutally stabbed to death. Director Kenneth Branagh takes it upon himself to solve the mystery. It turns out that all the actors teamed up to kill Johnny Depp. Since Mordecai sucks so bad, Branagh just lets everybody go. I don't feel like he had a lot of bias towards this movie going into it. I feel like that was very helpful since I haven't seen the movie. Now I understand it. I think it was pretty good. 
Uh, okay, so yeah, I'd say that pretty much sums up the whole thing. Um, the only thing that I feel we should talk about before we go too far into it is yes, the entire cast kills Johnny Depp, um, which I didn't know. Yeah, Chewie did not know when we sat down. That was down. smart to cast Johnny Depp then, because yeah. he's oh, such yeah. a piece of shit. Yeah, people really enjoy watching him get stabbed to death. Uh, we did mention a few times while watching this movie. Gosh, remember when we all used to love you? Remember <laughs> yeah, you, when you were like the best. Yeah, we were excited about seeing you in movies. Yeah. That, was, that was a nice day. Yeah, I never um, would have thought I was going to be like, meh, towards your face. But the one thing that was left out of the breakdown, although I still consider it a successful breakdown, uh, is that they were all brought to the train specifically to kill Johnny Depp. Oh, because shit. Johnny Depp killed a girl way back in the day. And these were all the people that were affected by that murder. So they all conspired to get on this train together they, to kill him. It was really interesting for me because I never read the book, never saw the old movie. Uh, and But I know about the Lindenberg baby. So yeah. then when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, they just, Agatha Christie just took the Lindenberg baby and made ripped a movie. Ripped from the headlines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ripped from the headlines. Just like your favorite went, show, Lawn or Special Victims Unit. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make a different story about this exact thing. <laughs> But the, the interesting thing about it is that when the book came out, nothing like this had been done before. Like, this wasn't a twist. Like, this was a twist, like, nobody saw coming. Like, oh, you have to read that book. You'll never believe who the murderer is. Because he'd already had books, and it's always one guy who did the killer. And it's always about Perot finding who killed whoever the murderer was. And this one is like, oh, fucking, they all did it. And it's like, oh, wow. And even as you're watching, it's like, they do a pretty good job, I think, of bouncing around of you think uh, you think Daisy Ridley did it for a while. You think uh, Leslie Odom Jr. did it for a while. They really hammer on. Um, I just really started Olaf. Getting... What the fuck is his name? Josh Gad. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just like, how this is too much of a coincidence at this point for every single one of these characters to have a personal tie-in to this one event. Yeah. So then eventually, I was like, I even started wondering, did they all have a hand in this? It really. So I started to be able to guess it, so it wasn't as much of a surprise at the end. It sounds like you were sitting in the audience stroking your mustache. <laughs> <laughs> but that is like, crazy to me that Perot, or uh, Herc, Perot. he didn't like being called Hercules. He just wanted to be called Herc. No. Acu. Acu. I think. Hercule. Uh, Hercule. So uh, Hercules. How he, he didn't yeah. guess it, because like, it, it started to get annoying as the movie went on a little bit. Of like, How are you not just like totally lambasted by the fact that all these people were connected to this other murder? Like, you have to assume they're all involved. Well, I mean, I think they do a pretty good job lying. Like, the whole thing is, like, he very quickly figures out that every single person on the train is lying to him in one way or another, and he just can't figure out why. And then it's as he slowly but surely starts figuring out, like, oh, you're lying to me because you're from the same town as that guy. And it's like, as he slowly puts a piece together, it kind of comes together. But it's something that was also done back in the other movie, and I think that's where I really want to start this conversation before we kind of... I really use the word lambasted correctly, by the way. It's okay. Um... So there's an argument to be made of if you want to remake a movie or a book, uh, especially in this day and age, bring something new to the table. Like, we want to see something fresh, something new, and especially something as classic as Murder in the Orient Express. Most people have seen it. Not everyone, of course, but, like, it's it's pretty popular older film. And so, therefore, when you sit down to watch it, as soon as you get to the part where they find the dead bodies, like, all oh, the stab wounds are different. You go, oh, so this is just the same movie that I've seen. And now I'm spending the next hour and a half just waiting for you to get to the punchline. And I think that's a really interesting choice. I'm not sure if it's a good choice. <laughs> it was but, similar to when they did Psycho, essentially. Mm, shot for shot. No, but Psycho at least was shot for shot. So like, there's an artistic argument there. I disagree with it. I think that was a terrible movie. 
But I can see like the the goal behind that one of I want to pay homage to that film, so I'm going to completely remake it verbatim. Whereas mm-hmm. this one is just like I just want to remake the story, and I get it. Like Kenneth Brown is a Shakespeare guy. Like you brought that up. Like Shakespeare is always the same for the most part. I mean, you might yeah. change the setting or like the the time period, but it's pretty much the same thing. And since Brana likes Shakespeare so much, it kind of makes sense. But I still think it's an odd choice for this movie. Am I alone in this? I'm. I am curious. It would have been interesting for them to try to update it. But if they updated it, they'd have to somehow maybe like like make an airplane or something. Like a train doesn't really work so well today. Sure. So you're talking about like putting it in modern day? I was just like, if you're going to change it, like how would you change it? Well, I think that we've had a lot of different iterations of Sherlock Holmes over the past several years. And I think that even when they don't take the character into the modern day, like in the Robert Downey Jr. version, they still find ways to separate that iteration from the previous Well, yes, versions. we know that. But how do you think we should change this you one? You could put it on a cruise ship or a spaceship. But Or you could change who killed him. Like, I know that's like, that is the purpose of this story. But I still feel like if you go in, if you watch Scream knowing who the killers are the whole time, it kind of ruins the mystery. Yeah. And it's the same thing for this one. Like, you might still it's like... It's Skeet Ulrich. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you, No, Skeet. but I love, I love, I do love watching Matthew Lillard going, my mom and dad are <laughs> I mean that's all good stuff but like there's as soon as I heard because I, I really like I, I wanted to see it because like Kenneth Branagh and I think he does very visually beautiful movies and this one's right there and his sense of humor is wonderful yeah I really like his sense of humor but like I still I hoped for something new and as soon as I heard that the ending was the same the drive for me to see it in theaters completely disappeared like I didn't want to go spend 30 bucks to go see something I, I already knew everything of. do you think the I already know the answer to that. I was going to say, do you think the movie is made more for people who like aren't old enough to remember the old one, so now they're watching a new version, except this movie's not really for teenagers? Not at all. I, I this feel movie like is... that's what they were trying to pull in, though, because specifically, the thing that put a lot of people off was the trailer. trailer when they garbage. used uh, Imagine Dragons, when they were introducing the characters in the trailer, and that song is so poppy, so popular with the now. It looked... Weird. It felt awkward with a period film for a trailer. And that's why I'm like, I feel like he was trying to bring in the teenagers somehow. But I don't think that was Brana. I think that was the production company going, going holy who shit, we made a movie. See this? We made a movie for 80 year old people. Uh, <laughs> let's get some teenagers. Kids like Imagine Dragons. And it's, like, <laughs> it's just another advertising company out of touch with the youths. Yeah. Um, but, like, because there is something to be said. Like, they, they did go for a younger cast. Like, they went for uh, a guy out of Hamilton. They went for Daisy Ridley. They went for Josh Gad. Like, the cast is just, like, who's it's who? It's an amazing cast. It's a very good cast. And a few times you're like, Olaf, no. Yeah. <laughs> and my only complaint with the cast is I wish the girl from um, Sing Street was in it more because I really <laughs> like her. But she has a very bit part. But uh, yeah, is there anything, Elliot? You haven't said much. What did you? Does that bother you at all? You I'm said assuming you didn't you've seen like the, the movie. Yeah, I. My beginning with this story was in film school. Mm-hmm. Did you have to read the Sidney Lumet book, Making yeah. Movies? Yep. Yep. He blows the ending in that book. He, he sure did. <laughs> uh, so I mean, the the movie was thirty years old book. by that point, so no big deal or anything. I wasn't aghast yeah. <laughs> but it was just like oh okay that's how that story ends so definitely when i 
watched the original 1974 version mm-hmm. a couple years later it definitely didn't have that suspense of like oh my god who did it because they all did it yeah so i've never been really electrified with this story watching this new one i actually saw it for the first time about a month ago okay um and then revisiting it now it just feels like with a lot of Branagh's work, you guys have talked about his Shakespeare adaptations, but yeah. definitely in recent years, he's very much been readapting things. Uh, he did Cinderella. He did Thor. Yep. Like he he brought Thor into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he remade Sleuth. He did a new version of Jack Ryan. It's just like he's. I forgot he did the Jack Ryan thing. Yeah, it's very easy to forget. <laughs> but he's just kind of recycling old things it feels like and with a lot of these movies i feel like he has a very handsome directorial style where it looks like it is it has a high level of gloss on it yeah and it feels like high level studio product but it's often not emotionally engaging on a high level with, sure, yeah. With uh, Murder on the Express, watching it, this time I made sure to put subtitles on because everybody has different accents and they're spouting out all these places and names that aren't familiar to my American ears. Yeah. <laughs> and it was definitely a lot more comprehensible uh, by reading the subtitles. But even then, once you get into the convoluted backstory with Johnny Depp and he has like a fake name and there's all these ties between all the other characters. It kind of reminded me of a uh, a Shane Black movie a little bit okay. where the backstory is just very loopy and convoluted. And sometimes I just wish they could iron that out a little bit. But I might be alone in that front, judging no, by your eyebrows. No, no, no. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I kind of wish there's a little bit more explanation to a lot of stuff here. Yeah. So I just feel like it's a movie that is very middle of the road. It does exactly what it's set out to do, just represent the story, but without adding any significant electricity to make it feel like a movie that's important to be made. It just feels like, well, this is something that all the numbers say, that this can be the uh, classy adult prestige choice for uh, studio blockbuster during the Christmas season. Yeah, it, it really just has this feeling of like, uh, what if Kenneth Branagh made Murder on the Orient Express? Like, it's not like a new, exciting take on it. It's just like, what if it had his brand of paint on it? It was like the Cinderella movie he made. Yeah, it's totally. Just like, this is exactly the Cinderella you know, except now Kenneth Branagh is the puppet master. Yeah, and I, was he in Cinderella? I didn't see no. that. Yeah, I, the thing is, I think. I enjoy Kenneth Branagh for the most part. Artemis uh, Lovelace. Yeah, like it, it, I, but I honestly think his films are better when he's in them, and I know that's exactly what he wants to hear. And I'm not <laughs> trying to be a Jack Ryan was not better with him. In it. I didn't see Jack Ryan because he's one listening awful, right but, now, and he's like, yeah. "Thank you, Brian. Yeah. I agree." But I've always that Artemis Lovelace <laughs> yeah. name drop that was kidding. I want to make that clear because you didn't bounce off that. I haven't the way seen I it, so I disagreed with you. That was uh, Wild we Wild actually, West. Oh my made- god. <laughs> oh yeah. We actually made the joke a couple oh, times that uh, the Kenneth Branagh's ego is so big we couldn't handle Johnny Depp's ego in the 
movie and that's yeah. why he got killed. <laughs> well, it's like I've often made the joke of like if you ask Kenneth Branagh who's the greatest actor in the entire world, he'll answer Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> and it's like you can kind of see that, but at the same time, I I like that for not all the time, but a lot of the time, he can kind of match his word. And like I think that's most exemplified in this movie because in a movie full of wonderful actors he's a standout performer yeah as like a 40 year old man he was a convincing 19 year old hamlet yeah like, <laughs> he's a he's a very good actor i'd love to see him in a play because i hear he's amazing on stage i'd love to see him in a giant robot that resembles a tarantula <laughs> well you're in again luck. <laughs> wearing some very good fake uh facial hair yeah but it's like when he got cast in uh, Harry Potter, I was like, holy shit, you couldn't have found a amazing. better person to play that character. <laughs> like that was like that was like the dream casting. They were saying, uh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, uh. Nine months. Uh, Hugh Grant. Uh, Hugh Grant. Grant. Like that was like who everyone wanted them to get. I'm like, no, no, Hugh Grant. This is Kenneth Brown. I'm like, that holy shit. Hugh Grant yeah. It was actually a very good thing that Hugh Grant never made it into Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. He takes himself too seriously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I was I was kind of wanting to say something, even though again have not seen this movie. Um, though I feel like it's interesting to to make a remake that brings nothing new to the table because like Creed is essentially a remake of Rocky, but it's made with a more diverse cast and it's made for a more modern audience. Ghostbusters, love it or hate it, I think it's great. I think if you hate it because there's women in it, fuck you. Um, but Ghostbusters was a re not a remake, but but a similar story told again with a different perspective. Like yeah. this. There's a lot of exit people complain about Force Awakens, but Force Awakens is somewhat of a retelling of A New Hope, but from a different perspective with different characters and a different direction. So, yeah, I think that's a very good thing to like update a story for a modern audience, to add a more diverse cast, to do things that you couldn't have done back then. But if you're not going to do that, I, I just don't. Yeah, I'm having a hard time feeling, yeah. figuring out what the point of that would and be. That was the, the major, like, theme through the reviews because I read I think almost every review I could find in Metacritic to try to figure out because I don't think it's a bad movie like I don't think it's a poorly made film at all I just don't think it's very special like, like King's Speech yeah, well I, I think King's Speech is probably a better film I'm not a huge yeah. fan of King's Speech but like it's just but you really just was like this is the type of movie we're making yeah and we're not going to step anywhere out to make it anything more than that yeah so I just I kind of had these weird just sort of not really problems with it because like my dad called us in the middle of the movie and I had to pause it and he's like, "Oh, what are you watching?" I'm like, oh, "Murder on the Orient Express." He's like, "Oh, I want to see it. How is it?" I'm like, "I'm enjoying it so far. Like, I don't really think you need to see it, but I don't feel like I'm wasting my time watching it." And I, I don't know if that's a bigger insult than I mean it to be. Of it's just kind of bland. Um, but I don't think there's really anything wrong with that. I mean, how many filmmakers have tried to make the greatest thing ever and made shit? At least this guy made something okay. It's kind of. Sorry, you can go first. Outside of the actual story, in the le in saying that it's bland, for me visually, I thought it was fantastic. I, I don't think I don't think Kenneth Branagh can make something that's not visually interesting. I don't think that's in his wheelhouse. He even got himself a hero shot with a sun going down behind a snow capped mountain of him walking on top of the train. Like this is an epic shot that you're not really expecting in what is you assume be like a, like a bottle movie where they're in the one cabin the whole time or whatnot i mean like they they made it kind of large in this very confined space of them being stuck on a train 
Yeah, it's a very well shot. the The sets are great. The costumes are awesome. And I the, really like. I like his fake mustache. The, most, the mustache, for the most part, except when they did some close ups, looked legit. Yeah, it looks like a guy who's way too obsessed with his facial yeah. hair. Like, it, and I, I liked all that. And I really like Kenneth Branagh in it. And I kind of want to talk about his character a little bit because it, it, it was a sticking point for a lot of people that he is not like the character in the book. Like his mannerisms and his characteristics are. But this guy's known for being short and fat. Yeah. And they cast Kenneth Branagh, who's not going to do that to himself because he likes being He's handsome. He's not that type of actor. Hercule Poirot is the name of a short, fat guy. Yeah, exactly. And this guy <laughs> is not a short, fat guy. But I still think... I think Kenneth Branagh did a good enough job with the character. That it still felt like the same guy to me. Like, he still had this really, like, charming wit about him and this sort of, like, tired, like, yes, I, I can pretty much solve any crime. And I really like that about him. And he's kind of done with it. Like, he's like, I just want to be happy. Like, he I keeps just wanna... trying to go on holiday. Yeah, he just wants to get vacation. He just wants to go somewhere and read his book. And, like, when his he's... Dickens. His Dickens. And everyone's Dickens, like, sorry. no, there's been a murder. <laughs> What's he reading? Did Tale of Two Cities. It was a Tale of Two Cities. Uh, yeah, and he yeah. kept laughing short... historically. I'm like, no one's ever told me that book's funny. It's not funny, but <laughs> I just, but I just like he has this like fit of giggles when he's reading it, and he's just having so much fun. He's like, oh, Dickens, and it's what like, the fuck is he laughing at? I right? Ah, <laughs> 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 decapitation. <laughs> but I, I really like him in the movie, and I think if it wasn't for him personally. I don't think I would have been invested in it at all. Like, I think it would have been like, oh, it's kind of cool watching these actors play these, like, very stereotypical, like, characters. Not stereotypical, but, like, established characters and just kind of making it as their own as they can, but they really can't. But Brana brought me into the film, and actually I had no problem watching the whole thing because he's in every scene. Most of it's him interviewing people throughout the film, and I thought he was engaging enough and had enough chemistry with enough people that I thought the movie was watchable which is again more insulting than i mean it to be but out of all of them i i think his chemistry with daisy ridley was the best and i really liked seeing her in something that wasn't star wars and i'm really interested to see what else she does i know she has a movie with doug lyman coming up and i think that's pretty cool um but anybody else have a standout character i mean i love michelle pfeiffer Uh, she's always great like you can for me you can never really do better than her uh, and she plays a character that, I mean, I was not familiar with, so it was interesting to learn that she was an actress playing a role to murder this guy. Uh, so to me, that was a big reveal, more so than who killed him. was a That was a bigger reveal, that mm-hmm. she ended up being the actor grandma to the girl that got murdered. Was it the grandma or the mother? Was? I always forget. No, the mother died. That's right, that's right. Because she ended up going into premature labor, and then her and the baby died. So she lost... First her granddaughter, and then her daughter and her other grandchild. So they talked about how she lost the most. So that's why she was the most, the why she planned the entire murder yeah. or not. Um, and just watching her, actually when she shifted from stopped being the like, she was playing like a ditzy gold digger type character from America who was just trying to find another husband. Uh, and she was just, kind of purposely irritating Perot the whole time. Yeah. And then she turns out to be this calculating wounded woman and I thought that was very interesting. And it's it's another role that like I don't mean this in a bad way but it's perfectly in her wheelhouse. Like that is yeah. something that she can just nail. Like it's one of those like just like, kind of like dream casting moments. Like oh, this sort of role would be great for Michelle Pfeiffer. I wonder if she's available and perfect. She's just coming hot off mother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's having a really good uh Revival? Yeah, kind of. I didn't want to call it a revival because I don't like that she kind of disappeared for a little while. Mm. But yeah, she did. I don't really think of it as a revival. I just think of it as she's picking her roles. 
She's one of those few women that aged into herself mm -hmm. and people continually respect and still consider her beautiful and she gets to pick her roles like any other respected male actor gets to. Yeah. yeah. Her Catwoman is still the best Catwoman. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That costume is fucking rad too. Yeah. Speaking of which, how are costumes in this movie, everybody? Gorgeous. I, it's it's Kenneth Branagh. Like the, Everything the, production-wise in this movie is top-notch. Um, I really like... Uh, I like there's a really big emphasis on like this kimono that he sees running out of the room when Johnny Depp yeah. is murdered. And I like that it's like it it's so like it's very bright and red and yellow and like has this really stark look to it and it's very grabbing and then they kind of forget about it for a little while but like it's well, always he, like, he keeps it, asking all the women, "Do you have another dressing gown?" Yeah, and mm -hmm. I and they did such a good job like hitting it that like when you see it it just sticks in your brain so although they're not talking about it, you know it's still something that's coming back. And they do this really well throughout the entire movie um, and the book where it's like they they show you something and then don't talk about it. But since you're the audience, you're kind of playing detective along with him. And they do that a few times throughout the movie where you'll catch people in lies um, that he doesn't, that he might be catching internally, but he doesn't bring it out. So the kimono was one and that was specifically because of the costume. And then there's another part where Josh Gad blatantly lies to him about something that has already been said earlier in the film and he doesn't call it out. So if you've been paying attention, it's like, oh, there's one. And it's like, he did it really fun. He never, I feel like he never fully cashed in on it. Which I was just confused by, not even that it was a lie. Because the line was, he had some weird views on Stalin. And I'm like, what are weird views on Stalin? Like, yeah. can we investigate that for a little <laughs> while? I want to know what these views are. But yeah, so it's Josh Gad, when he's first interviewed, he's talking about Leslie Odom Jr. And he's like, well, you know, I, was, I hung out all night with him, but he has some weird views on Stalin. And then later when he's interviewing Leslie Odom Jr., he's like, oh yeah, I hung out all night. Uh, he had some weird views on Stalin though. And it's like, and I'm like, what are mm. weird views on Stalin? <laughs> what does that mean? It was interesting. He was like, I thought he was a stand-up guy and totally didn't murder a lot of people. I think Stalin is an alien who came through the Stargate. <laughs> Those are some weird views on Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but otherwise, I really like the costumes. I really like the. I really like the the train itself. Like the train, the train station, all the stuff. Like we are watching it, and it's like they spent I think fifty five million on it. It looks like they spent way more. Like they 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 used every dime they could in the best way possible. Like the whole time, it just it looks real and lived in and like tactile and this thing that i feel we're starting to lose the more and more that like these like big comic book movies come out where they're just like yeah we don't need a set because we'll just throw it in cgi and i feel like more movies are doing that so when you go back to like a kenneth Branagh era and you look at like real sets and real costumes and real people and real extras like thousands of extras in a train sequence it's kind of nice it's like it's refreshing to actually see it and even though i don't think the movie is as good as some other ones it's still like it's more pleasurable to watch because it's nice to see film being made like that well, still. No and matter how great they can render something in a computer, your brain still knows you can't touch it. Yeah. It's just, it's automatic. It's an instinctual thing. So you'll be watching a movie and if you know you can't touch it, it won't affect you as much as a real set will. Yeah, and also an art department has subtle like you find weird shit that you just put somewhere or you or that 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 makes it feel real whereas a computer everything is intentionally like chosen art department people will frequently just find a thing and throw it in the mm -hmm. scene you know so it feels less like everything is planned and more like lived lived in world yeah and they definitely use the 
train. They don't do like the Life Aquatic of Steve Zizu, where yeah. they like s- split the set so they could kind of have the camera traveling up and down, and there wasn't yeah. any like interference with the walls. There are definitely a lot of tracking shots in here where it'll the camera will pan across the side of the train as Kenneth Branagh is walking down the corridor. Yeah. And you just see the glimpses through the window. And also when Kenneth Branagh is speaking to all of the passengers gathered in the train lobby or whatever, um, like the camera will move through the panes of glass to cast different reflections of the characters. I actually loved that sequence because that is a sequence when they're trying to decide who killed him like the right after they found out that he's murdered right mm-hmm. uh and i think they but, do it two or three times but the first time but yeah. they but they use fractals on all the, with the windows in that shot which is giving everyone a double image which is amazing because then you're hinting at like a double agenda or double identity or whatnot the entire time like that is some good filmmaking right there yeah i don't feel like there's that big a ticking clock or anything in this story but definitely the way they shoot the train it feels like a very enclosed tight claustrophobic space. yeah um i mean they break that sometimes like with Branagh's just walking around on top of the train <laughs> but for a lot of the scenes he it just feels epic like hero shot yeah, why is he walking on top of the train to solve a murder it's there uh the, i guess we never mentioned this there's an avalanche that derails the train oh. uh, so they're trying to solve the murder before the team can clear the tracks because then they'll all get away yeah. well it's something where they say they have to solve the murder before the police get there or the team who's gonna clear away the avalanche because they're going to see there was a murder and just assume that the black guy did it yeah. or the uh, Hispanic Jewish. guy did it. Yeah. Was Hispanic? Um, I thought. Um, what was it? Mendez? Was that his name or was it something else? I thought he was Jewish. Possibly. Um, but they, they're assuming that the people are going to play on their racism yeah. to throw an innocent man into the slammer. So Poirot has to solve the mystery in order to prevent that from happening. But I feel like that's just paid lip service to and you don't really be- feel that, that no definitely much. it doesn't um, there's feel- not a lot of urgency no and i feel like there could have been a little bit more like uh, there was a a couple moments of like desperation when he like first accuses both josh gad and then later accuses daisy ridley where it it felt like he was more so like desperate of like i feel like i'm right and i like those moments but I agree with you. I wish there was something more of like somehow they could have shown it more of like this needs to happen now. Like we need to solve this now. Yeah. It's not there at all. You're right. Yeah. Um, just getting back to some of the points that you guys brought up, um, going off the cam work and look at the film and how like expensive it feels. This is really a movie that I think does a disservice to watch it at home. This really feels like a movie theater movie or at least a big screen movie because Branagh really chooses a lot of shots that he'll have wide shots of all the cast members and everyone looks so tiny on a TV screen and just feels like at one point the cast recreates The Last Supper. When they're sitting yeah. at a <laughs> at a table in a train tunnel, I thought that was funny. And it's just like if you were seeing that on a big screen, it would be so rich in detail, like seeing what each individual actor is doing in that moment. And watching it on a television screen, it just feels really squished, you know. So yeah, I think that he definitely made this movie for 
the big screen, the big screen experience. And so yeah. it's good that it did well during its Christmas. Was this an IMAX? I don't think so, no. Okay, but it definitely feels like a big movie, even yeah. though it has, you know, this is this is something that you see on uh, CBS um, during <laughs> primetime, you know, this yeah. kind of mystery. I think that type of setup also speaks to his experience on the stage. Because that was definitely something that I could have seen, like on a Broadway production with that long, expansive table. Oh, for sure, yeah, very true. Yeah, I mean, I think every movie he's ever made feels a little bit like theater, and I think yeah. that's just because that's who he is. Like that's what he knows. When the Destroyer was stomping through that Nevada town, I was just like, "This is like waiting for Godard." <laughs> <laughs> um, High art. Yeah, the best. Uh, there was something you were just talking about that made me want to. Oh, there's a shot that we haven't called out that I really want to because it was my favorite in the movie. And it's similar to what you are saying earlier. And it's when the first time Kenneth Branagh uh, boards the train. And it has this – it's uh, the only long take in the movie. There's long shots, but this one's the only like real long one. And it follows him through the train station. And then he gets on the train, and it doesn't follow him onto the train. It just follows him from the outside of the train as he goes back through the entire length of the train. And it's just following him outside of it. And I thought it was a really cool, very well-done <laughs> shot. Uh, I liked it because it never lingered on any of the other characters, so you never really got any uh, like um, foreshadowing. Like it all, it felt like every character at that moment, including Johnny Depp's character, was on the same level. Do you remember when they discovered Johnny Depp's body, and the camera is like hanging overhead, looking down? It didn't and look so, like Johnny Depp at all. <laughs> well, no. before you even see Johnny Depp, though, they're like outside the cabin and they're like looking into the room and talking about what's inside. And it feels like they this is what I was talking about, where it's not like the life aquatic, like they didn't have a breakable train so they could get the camera in certain yeah. places. It felt like because there are three guys like right outside this cabin entranceway, like there's no place for the camera to go for it to actually be able to show these actors performing and give you a clean shot of what's inside the cabin. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I totally yeah, I do. Yeah, so it's just, that's what I feel about him with the movie, like really sticking to that location and committing to it. Like we're yeah. not going to cheat in terms of getting like really clear camera shots. Yeah, and it really, it like I said <clears throat> earlier, it really plays to the claustrophobic of it. Like it really makes it feel like we are on top of each other and there's a problem and it could explode at any minute. There's, would you say like the biggest action sequence is when he's like chasing Josh Gad? It is. The only action sequence. What, so what was happening in that moment? Josh Gad, I just remember Josh Gad like jumping down levels or something and then he, he falls and hits the snowy ground. Yeah, he was trying to run, he was trying to burn the evidence that he had been stealing money from Johnny Depp because okay. he thought that would be another thing to implement him in the movie and, uh, or in the crime and then while trying to run away they had to throw some version of an action sequence in there, I guess. Something, yeah. something chase-wise to liven up the teenagers, you know? Yeah. All those teenagers who were watching this movie. <laughs> well, they tried. Remember, Imagine Dragons Imagine were in the trailer. <laughs> The kids uh, these days, they love the Imagine Dragons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still five years ago, right? Do you uh, think that thunder. if you watched this Hear movie when you were... <laughs> do you think if you watched this movie while you were a teenager, you would have enjoyed it? I mean, I saw the original as a teenager and I enjoyed it. But the original is a better film. I feel like... Okay, not if you were a teenager, but like <laughs> if you were an average, ordinary American teenager. Some of them 
But a yeah. lot of them would no, rather I, see I a quiet right. place. Yeah, a lot of them would rather go see Star Wars, which was out at the same time. Like it, it, This movie was a very minuscule audience that was really just hoping that they'd come to see their favorite actors in a movie. This is very much for like grandparents and older adults. Like This feels like a, almost like a theatrical revival of a beloved play. Sure. Where it's just like, yeah, like you've seen this a million times. Like here's the latest acting troupe who's putting it on. Yeah, it's like, like oh, Cats is back on Broadway. I don't know, yeah. man. Yeah. Nothing brings those teenagers in like Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like if you go see Our Town at the community theater, <laughs> it's not like you're going to be like, whoa, they really redefined Our Town. Yeah. <laughs> and like really added a whole new dimension. It's pretty much just going to be Our Town. Yeah. And I feel like if you've seen the original murder on the orient express and you watch this one it's just like yeah that was pretty much murder on the orient express like yeah they like you get exactly what you were expecting but it just doesn't have that freshness to it, yeah, it can, you get what you're expecting not what you're hoping for yeah. again i go back to like hamlet again i mean he managed to bring some new shit to that hamlet it was a very like it was Hamlet, but also there was there were interpretations, there were changes made that didn't necessarily change the content, but the way he shot them was changed. You know how how you interpret the scene, so you can still even Kenneth Branagh has done that even with Shakespeare. Yeah, even with done. Thor, he did. Yeah, he brought definitely brought his own flavor to Thor, at least a little bit. Um, a, a flavor that was completely maintained for the rest of. Thor's tenure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Absolutely. Everyone's like, yep, this is Thor from here on out. <laughs> yes. No, like, we cracked the mold on the first try. Uh, is there anything we haven't really hit in this movie that you guys would want to talk about? That I feel like comparing it to Sherlock is something yeah. that I was thinking about. Um, that's Sherlock, a show, the Benedict Cumberbatch? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, that's a show that really tries to do different things to shake it up and not have it just be Benedict Cumberbatch standing there and just uh, having words spew out of his mouth. They yeah. really try to like play around with presentation on that show. With this movie, you'll have a scene. Willem Dafoe plays a, a very arch-German character. Yep. Honestly, Austrian. at times Austrian. I forgot Willem Dafoe. Was I was even about a to say Willem Dafoe was in this movie. Yeah. His character is so in the background, like you well, forget he exists. Well, like Pe- Penelope Cruz is in this movie. Penelope Cruz is in this movie. Yeah. It feels I like feel like she gets more screen time. Yeah, but it's it's hard with a cast this size to like spotlight everybody appropriately. Uh, scheduling must have been a real bitch. Yeah. yeah. It's just kind of like, you know, they got everybody for those group shots. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, Penelope, let's knock out your solo shots yeah. in like yeah. a, a day, if that. <laughs> and like with Willem Dafoe, he's this arch racist Austrian officer or professor. And then yeah. uh, Kenneth Branagh was talking to him and he's like, oh, you mispronounced Turin, you should have said Turin. And then Willem Dafoe's completely like, oh my God, you're right. This is my entire thing. And it just feels like this this isn't like Eureka. It's yeah. just like, oh, you mispronounce this one little word. And then the truth spills forth. And it just doesn't feel like in a really great mystery story, like even to get off mysteries for a second, but like A Few Good Men. Sure. And that scene in the final courtroom scene, like I've seen that movie a lot of times. So like I love just listening to it and catching like the moments where Jack Nicholson fucks up, like where he says yeah. the wrong thing. 
And Tom Cruise, like, he hears it, and then you see him, like, processing it, and he's, like, stuck. He's not sure what to do. And then there's just a click in his brain, and then he drives forward with uh, getting the verdict he wants on the trial. And I feel like with Murder on the Orient Express, this version, you have Kenneth Branagh kind of just standing there and staring. And as an audience member, like, I'm looking at the mustache the whole time. (laughs) And then it'll just be like, oh, you said Turin instead of Turin. And it just just feels so muted and low-key, like, at every level. I think what they were trying to go for was the whole, like, not showing those moments and showing more of, like, he's so smart that he caught the things that you didn't catch. And And, I'm not saying they succeeded in that, but I think that's kind of what they're more aiming for. I mean, this is also the movie where at the beginning, Poirot steps in a pile of shit and then he's like, oh, it's off balance. He takes his foot out and then he puts his other foot in the shit. Yeah. So I feel like they... Sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Kenneth Branagh stepping in shit. This movie sounds awesome. He wasn't barefoot, (laughs) uh, to clarify. All our listeners who are desperately Google image searching. <laughs> but I th- there's somebody out there who's really into the idea of Kenneth Branagh stepping barefoot into shit. Gross. They were just like this, this, uh, after the hype isn't as faptastic as they usually yeah. are. And then it's like they get to the Kenneth Branagh stepping in shit and it's like, this is what I've been waiting this for. This is what I needed. Um, we're jerking like, it right now. There was, there was a little bit with the uh, sapphic love stories that Emily was talking about, but there could have been more feces. <laughs> okay, so I think it's time to move into quotes, 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 quotes. Uh, really quick before we do, we had to take a very short break there because uh, Chewie, who is pregnant, uh, cannot stand the heat of this room and had to excuse herself. Uh, she is super pregnant, and that is very understandable. This uh, episode is, is falling apart. Yeah, this episode is, uh, <laughs> I think it's still a good conversation, but uh, we went from having... <laughs> Five people to four people to three people to two and a half people. It's almost like an Agatha Christie play. <laughs> uh, so we'll wrap these things up pretty quick. Uh, I, I'm not even going to do a review system today just to try to get this thing done quicker for everybody. Um, but I have to say my favorite quote of this movie because I think it was just incredible. And hopefully Elliot has one that he enjoyed as well. Uh, the moment when he first comes onto the train that I mentioned earlier ends with him at the cabin that he has to share with Josh Gad. And Josh Gad did not know that he was getting on the pl- on the train and is very confused that I have to share a cabin with a detective? We're planning on murdering a guy. Um, so he says, uh, um, we are, how you say, uh, bunkies? Like we're sharing room. And Josh Gad goes, really? And just looks at him and goes, I'm equally disappointed in you. Oh, this room's nice. And then walks into the room. And I think it's just a really great moment to show his sense of humor and everything. And I enjoyed it. Did you have a quote you like as well? Uh, Let's go with the one where Poirot is at a loss for words and he's stammering. Is something, is is it about Johnny Depp's books? Like they're full of uh, falsehoods and he goes, it's full of the, how do you say that? Chocolate, 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 the fudge. It's (laughs) the fudge. It's full of the fudge. That was something where it's like, all right, man. Yeah. (laughs) Like if that's your nomenclature, I'll respect it. Yeah. I thought it was fun. Yeah. Emily? Uh, I, again, did not see this movie. um, Which I feel really bad about. I'm very ashamed of everyone. I did not do my homework. No, I, I have a quote. Um, on the poster, it says it is lavish, razzle-dazzle escapism. I would love to see a movie that reflected that tagline. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's not quite there. So that's my <laughs> there, quote from the poster. There that's what is, I saw. There is a minute level of razzle, no dazzle. <laughs> yeah. In absence of dazzle. Yeah. 
Is there? Is it lavish? It seems lavish. There's uh, some lavish nature to it. I mean, if you like suits, like it's way more I suits like than. Suits. And even yeah. uh, Daisy Ridley and Michelle Pfeiffer, do they have aside from the kimono, which you lovingly spotlighted, it's do they kimono. have any? Like particular wardrobe, they're like buttoned up the entire time. Yeah, no, Are there really. any musical numbers? No, there could have been. No, He's done a musical before. He doesn't do bad musicals. Razzle dazzle. Yeah, they did not give us the old razzle dazzle. Um, yeah. All right. All right. So uh, <laughs> this so, is a resounding success. Yeah, the best episode we've ever had. Uh, <laughs> we might be finding a new location to record this thing, so we no longer kill my poor wife. Um, did you guys see Whiteout? No. Do you know what that movie is? I know it has Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, so that's a movie where it takes place in Antarctica, which the subtitles helpfully tell us is like the coldest place on earth. Thank you. Um, and this is a movie starring Kate Beckinsale. So like her first scene, the entire movie is taking place in Antarctica. You know, right? But it's the producers have Kate Beckinsale, so they're like, hey, her first scene in the movie, she's gonna walk into her uh, her room in the Arctic base, strip down, get in the shower. Take a shower. Of like, course. You're going to get that first thing in the movie to get the audience their money's worth. And Kenneth Branagh, <laughs> to his credit, we do not get any ridiculous shower scenes in this movie for any yeah. member of his cast. Yeah. Uh, and I think Josh Gad would have been game. So <laughs> that is admirable restraint. I'm going to bring this thing to a close because, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, a real quick round of plugs. You can find us, ATHpod.com. You can find our new show there as well, which is Venture Bros, the Venture Brothers podcast. Uh, Emily, you have... You can buy my 10th Doctor-inspired cosplay code on Etsy. At M- my store is called Emily Blake Sews. So if you want to cosplay as the, 13- the new 13th Doctor, you can buy your coat from me. Don't buy it from Cos Daddy because that coat's a piece of shit. Can you do you make them for only women or for men and women? I make them for anybody. Nice. So you can get Because it's a it's a pretty oversized coat, so yeah. it's really easy to make for any sized person. Very nice. Anything to plug? Yeah. So got some things cooking up, slowly but surely, but for now you can continue to enjoy my sci fi audio play Beyond School. It's a series about a teenage girl who battles evil aliens, Beyond School on iTunes and Blogspot. And then you can also follow me on Twitter at Elliot S. Campos. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for coming on, staying on in this uh, sauna. Of-